Moving to Live is a podcast about movement and exercise. We bring you interviews with professionals in the movement and exercise field. The goal is to provide information for other professionals and also amateur movement aficionados, people who understand that movement is part of what makes life complete. Some of the people we interview you will have heard of. They're well known in and outside of the movement and exercise profession. Others you may not have heard of, but they have a great deal of knowledge to share. Many people doing the best work spend their time working with people, not working on their social media presence. We're going to give you a chance to learn from some of these talented and knowledgeable individuals, and we're going to learn along with you. Moving to Live podcasts are going to be short. Each interview will be long enough to impart usable information, but short enough to be able to be consumed in a single bout, during your workout, commute, or even during dinner prep. We all like long-form interviews, but time is valuable. Moving to Live wants to give you the option to learn and be entertained without needing to commit 60 minutes at a time for an interview. Give Moving to Live a listen. Check out our sister podcast, FitLab PGH, which highlights people, businesses, events, and activities in the Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania area that make movement a priority. Moving to Live would love to hear from you. Want to connect with us or have an idea for somebody you think we ought to interview? Drop us an email, mov2liv at gmail.com, or connect with us on Instagram and Twitter, both underscore mov2liv. We're excited to bring you these interviews, and we think you'll enjoy each and every one that we bring you. Welcome back to a new edition of Moving to Live. As you heard in the intro, we're a podcast for movement and exercise professionals and amateur aficionados. The key thing to remember about this, no matter what your profession is, movement should be more than an activity. It should be a lifestyle. I try to find guests who, A, I want to talk to, and B, have interesting stories and look at movement from different realms so that we avoid the knowledge silos. I need to give a big thank you and a shout out to Eric Malzone for connecting me with today's guest. I'm excited to learn about what he does. And one of the things that first attracted me and where I wanted to talk more to him is one of the things that his facility specializes in is training children. So we're fortunate enough to have Chandler Walker here. Chandler is a multi-business owner of Stone Age Fuel and Chan's Logic. Chandler, thanks for taking time for talking to Moving to Live. Yeah, thanks for having me on. I'm super excited to have a conversation with you and super pumped to see where it goes. First question I always ask everybody is, you meet somebody in the grocery store, you're standing in line waiting to go through security in the airport, and you've got one of your t-shirts on. Somebody says, what do you do? What's your, not in a negative way, but what's your can spiel for this is what Chandler Walker does? Yeah, so my can spiel goes in two spots. Uh, spot number one with Stone Age Fuel with adults is we help people get rid of chronic disease associated with lifestyle problems that we experience in today's society. And we help you live a long, pain-free, happy life. On the other side, it's with kids. We help kids get athletically fit, develop to a potential to where they have high-level explosive hip strength. We help them get scholarships and either compete in high-level Olympic weightlifting or go on to college with a scholarship for their chosen sport. Big question we always want to start out with, and that's a great answer. We know we'll come back in two weeks and find more about those two activities specifically, but we want to find out a little bit more about Chandler Walker because you didn't wake up one day and say, this is what I'm doing for a living. You started somewhere. And I think the 
real question that's always of interest for people who move and people who are involved in movement is, are you a lifetime mover? Did you move as a kid or did you find that out at a later date? So as a kid, I grew up playing in all kinds of different sports. I started football pretty young, started understanding football from a, we lived in a bigger community when I was real young. Uh, funny story, our first season playing football, I played for the, the team we called the Panthers and we went 0 and 12. And my, my dad would always sit me down and say, do you still want to do this? You guys haven't won a game. And I'd be like, you know what? We're going to win the next one. Never won anything but I stuck with it, kept moving forward. And football became something that I did all through high school, all through everything that I, in middle school, in elementary school. And I did track and field as an opposite for that sport and eventually a little bit of baseball. But what I found was as I was going through high school and middle, especially high school, we would get the, uh, this was like a Friday night lights community. And so when we played football, if we did well, that's all you had to do. You didn't have to take your tests. You didn't have to do anything with classes. You just got straight A's to play football. And I still remember going to like accounting class and them telling me to go to the weight room. And then you'd walk in the school in the library after a game and literally teachers would be standing up asking you about your sacks and how everything went. And so it was a pretty interesting dynamic in that small town and that small community. And it really got me in a position to where I wanted to learn more about not just sport, but athletics movement and then health and, and nutrition became a pretty big passion for me. And I went into college at that point and we started a, a blog we called Stone, we called Stone Age Fuel. It was stoneagefuel.blogspot.com. And it was just a, a blog that I wrote about the fallacies in the supplement industry and what made sense from a biochemical perspective. Because at that point, I was pursuing a degree in biology and biochemistry to go into med school. And as I was going through that, the, the blog became really popular. We started getting invited to go do seminars all over the place. We started get, getting emails from people and just a lot of information to connect with people. And so at, at some point, I, I realized that I, I wanted to help people in two facets. I wanted to help people move better because rewind back to high school, I still remember my first clean exercise program with my high school coaches. And it was stand in the middle of the floor, floor pick the bar up and fall under it. And the first time I did it, I couldn't move for two weeks. We had to play a football game the next day. And I, my back was so destroyed, I could barely stand up. And I still remember trying to be a defensive end and just getting rocked the whole time. And so as I was moving through this, I knew there was two ways I, I needed to help people. It was I needed to help people heal their guts. And I needed to help kids and young people move better so they can live uh, at least a pain-free life as they go through their athletics and their movement. I'm a little curious about some of the things that you said because I think you kind of because you've told the story, not necessarily glossed over them, but I think there's more of a story there. I think the first question that I always ask people who had a good experience playing football in high school is now in 2018, things are entirely different. Would you let your kids play uh, football today? I think that's a, a really great question to ask people. Yeah, that is a really good question. And I look back and I, I see kids today and I, I work with a lot of kids who play high level athletics like football. And I, I do not, I wouldn't let my kid play football at this point if they did not have a few years under their belt of preparatory movement patterns, uh, some Olympic weightlifting behind them to prepare their joints for the constant impact and, and problems that are associated with the sport. And so I think it's a twofold answer. It would be no if they were just going to go into it and play because I think the impact injury is too great and there's too much potential to have a lot lot of problems associated with those kids as they move into their adult life. But if my kid had a background in some sort of movement pattern training, like gymnastics, Olympic lifting, even cheerleading, something like anything that gets them moving and gets their joints prepped and builds joint integrity and st the strength to withstand those impacts, then I would be more inclined to at least tolerate the idea of them playing football. 
think that's an interesting comment. One of the things that uh, when I was in school, my dad told me at a very young age, he said, you're not going to play football because I think it's bad for the joints. And he said, you can pick one sport and play. So I went to a very small school, sounds very similar to yours. And after playing soccer, he said, well, it's a small school. You should probably support the school and play basketball. And of course, as a kid, I'm like, that's great. And then partway through the basketball season, he said, well, you know, the baseball team always needs people too, so you should play baseball. So I had the opportunity to play three different sports, none of them very well, but I still had the opportunity. So I really think that's a great answer as far as the movement pattern. I'm curious about the what we see now with the cumulative effect of head injuries, if that would be a concern for you, because I think it's something that on the one side, you've got the groups of people say, no way, no, no, how, never. And on the other side, you have people who are kind of like the ostriches with their heads in the sand. There's no middle ground and they don't really want to talk about it. So as we talked before starting recording, there are some silos going up. Yeah. And I look at the cumulative effect of head injuries as can my, is my child going to be 80 years old and have dementia related issues and have problems associated with the lack of the ability of the brain to function properly as a result of cumulative head injuries from a, a, an entire career potentially of playing sports like football. And I do think the problems are, are pretty serious. And I, I don't think at the highest level that it's taken very seriously by the organizations that, that pay these players to play. I think at the small town level, it's incredibly dangerous because the goal is to win and the goal is for glory for the, the city or the county or wherever you're at. And so for me, it's, it's a big problem. I, if my child comes home and says, my, I got my bell rung and that this is a daily occurrence and I see him and they're just smashing each other, then I know we have a problem with the, the program and we have a problem with the way it's played. And so I, I do think head injuries are something we need to take seriously. I don't think there's a a good solution out there right now. There's people who are yes or no. There's nobody who's providing what we should do to make it better. And in terms of football, it, it it's this culture of hitting it. I mean, I still remember when we played, the entire goal was to ear hole people and lay them on the ground. And if that's the continuous goal of the game, we're always going to have that problem. And we're always going to have the associated and correlative effects of head injuries and then the cumulative effects down the road. So now it, my child's 40 years old and they're punch drunk. They can't speak in full sentences. They can't think when they start thinking hard, they stutter. And then fast forward 20 years down the road, my child has pre-dementia and pre-Alzheimer's based issues because of the problems that were associated that I'd allowed them to do as they grew up. It's interesting. I read an article within the last two or three weeks in the New York Times, and I don't know if you knew this or not, but the Ivy League no longer allows tackling in practices. And they've, they've tracked the head injuries and seen a significant reduction in the number of head injuries just by saying, we're not going to tackle in practice. I think it's Dartmouth actually has some tackling robots that show where the tackle takes place and what part of the tackler's head or body contacts the dummy. So they're able to make the, make the practice a little bit safer. It'll be interesting to see if other levels and other uh, institutions follow that through. Yeah, I, I think that's actually a, a pretty interesting idea because it, you know, when you look at practice, the goal of practice is to make you prepared for the game and to make you prepared to be able to execute the right movements at the right time. So I need to be able to execute plays in the right way. And if I'm worried about getting ear hold in every play, then I can't execute the technical parameters that I need to make happen when I'm actually playing in the game. And you look at it in terms of things like Olympic lifting, if you just go hard and heavy all the time, you're never going to get good at it. You need to practice the technical parameters more than you need to practice the, even the strength parameters behind it or the hitting as hard as you can parameters. Starting football from a young age, playing other sports, I'm always curious when people are active all their lives, whether 
their families were active, their mom and their dad, or whether it was more a matter of mom and dad giving you the opportunity? Were your parents active when you were young or was it more of a fact of them giving you the opportunity to be active? Yeah, they were both fairly active. My father was a kind of a beach bum guy. He was all about surfing, the ocean, water, being out there, living to move, moving to live. And my mom was completely active her my entire life. I still remember when I was young, she was into the bodybuilding movement and I would go to the gym with her and sit in the kid's place. And eventually she found a gym where I could sit at the juice bar, which I thought was the coolest thing in the history of the world because I didn't have to sit in a stupid kid's place. <laughs> and, and so we grew up pretty active and we were always encouraged to play sports. I, I don't think my parents ever put me in a position where I had to, or if I didn't like it, then they didn't force me to keep doing it. They didn't hold me to anything. Uh, so they were pretty supportive in getting me involved and, and they did expose me to it at a young age. And playing sports in high school, one of my interesting questions that I'm always ask people is, at what point did you realize this is the end of these team sport athletics? So you, you mentioned a few minutes ago that your big sport was, high, was football and the other sports kind of filled in the gaps for other times in the season. And I would imagine now with the long-term athletic development models, whether consciously or unconsciously, you were helping to fulfill that. But at what point did you realize, okay, this is it for football. I can't go any farther or I don't want to go any farther. Yeah, I think when we were in our, it was probably senior year when we realized this was probably the end unless we moved on to play at UNR or something like that. It was, we had a state championship game. We, our season was, and it's funny, it's the reverse of my first season when I was young, seven years old playing, which was 0-12. Our, our senior year was a 12-0 and season. We beat people in our conference, people outside our conference. We played the state championship game. It was the first time our team won in 86 years or something. They were calling us like the Lovelock Red Sox because it took so long for us to win a uh, championship and we won it but then after that game you realize this is the end this is this is all we're this is the last thing this is the final countdown the final stretch and, and after this what am I going to do and so that brought me into starting to look into okay where can I go from this do I want to keep playing football or, or do I want to do something different and find a new pathway and what was the decision to say or how did you if you remember decide you know I think I want to find a new pathway rather than I want to see if I can play at the lef next level yeah, the decision for me was based around I needed to figure out something that was going to make me whole. And I didn't feel like football was that position or that piece anymore. And track and field wasn't really where I wanted. And it could have been a, a part of the small, small town mentality where you're engulfed in it 24-7. And so at that point, I started to look for other things that I could potentially do to bring into my adult life as I started pursuing things like medical school and all of that. And I started to get into uh, Brazilian jiu-jitsu and, and Thai boxing. And so that brought a whole new dynamic to it because now you can, you're in a combat sport competing and it, arguably it's probably worse than football. But at that point, I thought it was the coolest thing ever. So you get to college, did you maintain, is this where you started the jujitsu and the other combat sports or did you do what many college students do and say, well, I'm going to enjoy the college experience for a certain period of time? I would say it's both. I enjoyed the college experience and then played the combat sports at the same time. Uh, so I was living my little dream at that point, doing jujitsu every so often, doing the Thai boxing and then going to class and then having the, the fun stuff like the parties and all that stuff at, at the same time and kind of enjoying, especially the first two or so years. That's really where I, I did everything. And would it be fair to say then that just from being active as a kid, even through college, just moving in some way, whether it was organized sports or organized working out, this was just, it really became a lifestyle and not just an activity. Yeah, absolutely. It, it became something that 
I needed to be doing something and I needed the ability to do something because just sitting on the couch and playing video games wasn't something I was, I mean, we did it when we were in school, but it wasn't something that I was completely into it. We were all, I always had something going on. I always had some sort of activity and I always had a group of people who wanted to hang out and surround themselves. So it, it was, we have to figure out something. And at some point in high, and once that was over, it was okay. Now we have combat sports to play around with and Oh, and that we can skateboard a little bit. What can I do? And it was a, a process of just learning to do new things and always, practice and play new sports and games and go on adventures. You get to college, your initial plan is you're going to major in, or you're going to go to medical school eventually. And I think you said you majored in bioenergetics or biochemistry. Is that correct? Yeah. Biology and biochemistry. And at some point you decided, I don't want to go to med school. I entered college and I either wanted to be an athletic trainer or a marine biologist. And then I, my first bio class was a plant biology class and I hated it. So that very quickly narrowed it down. What was it that made you realize at some point, I don't think medical school is the path that I want to go? Yeah. So I was pretty deep into it. I was third, almost uh, probably third year. We were getting ready to apply. We were making everything happen. And I got into a program called Nevadans into Medicine. And it, it's basically a, a precepting program to set you up to transition well into med school and to have a good med school program. But what I found was in that program, I had to go down to Vegas University Medical Center for a while and intern and watch physicians and hang out with the residents and all that. And I mean, we lived with them in the emergency room and everything. And the things that I liked, I really enjoyed the emergency room aspect, but I saw the burnout level associated with it. And it didn't seem like it was something that would work long-term for a normal person. Uh, because I mean, my first night we're there and someone rolls in in a wheelchair with their head smashed in from a rock that happened when they were bicycling down the street. And, and you can see the person, they're just, they're brain dead, they're laying there. And then seven more of those things keep coming in. And so you just see the cycle of that. And I probably would have stuck with it with just that. But when I started interning and precepting into more of an internal medicine pathway, which was it's a little bit less crazy and it's a little bit less uh, focused on like adrenal fatigue and just being gone the go 24 seven. But the problem I saw was every patient that we saw and every person that we saw that was associated with that was not willing to change their lifestyle. They wanted a pill and they wanted some sort of fix and some sort of pill to fix their problems and issues. So they would come in and see the physician and the physician would say, well, did you work on your diet at all? And no, I just, I'm still eating my steak and potatoes all the time, but uh, could you just give me some of those pills for my cholesterol and so I can get out of here? And I didn't feel like I could consciously make that a career. If that was what I had to do, I felt like I would just feel inadequate and incapable of creating change because I, I'm in people, I am surrounding with people who don't have the behavioral parameters to make that change. And that's when I decided that I needed to figure out a way to do this in more of a holistic whole health pathway to where I was going to be able to help people. And I was going to be able to put people in the right position without being able to prescribe any sort of medication. So they had to follow the behavior modifications that I wanted. You graduate from college, you have the stone age blog, did you have a moment where, what the heck am I going to do? Or once you decided medical school wasn't the path, did you kind of say, I know this is the way that I want to go? How did it work from there? Yeah. So I've always been a bit of a long-term thinker before I make a decision. I've already gone through about 375,000 different ways it could go. And so by the time I decided I wasn't going to do the med school path, I already had the blog organized. I already had a plan to set up a brick and mortar business. And I already had a plan to make some sort of brand out of Stone Age Fuel and turn it into a whole health pathway where we help rid people of chronic disease and we help kids get better. And so that's what we went right into. And how long has that been in existence? So Stone Age Fuel has been in existence since the blog started in 2009, probably. And then the 
brick and mortar physical location will open in 2013 and it's still here today. We were talking a little bit before uh, we started recording and you said that you have multiple certifications because you don't want to be stuck in a silo. And I know having been in a college setting that very often if you're, if you're a bio major or something else, it's just kind of like put the students through. So you graduate and you decide I need to get some certifications or you get some certifications beforehand. How did you make the decision? You know, these are the ones that I want to have, because from what you were saying, you have a pretty large dichotomy of certifications. It's really multiple different silos to use that term. Yeah. So as I was going through college, I I took one every so often. I I probably have a dozen CrossFit certifications. I have a bunch of gymnastics-based certifications, uh, USA weightlifting. I have the uh, coach level all the way up to the national level coach with that organization. And I just found that I needed to learn something new at least once every couple months. And I needed it to be from a different organization. I didn't want to end up in a CrossFit silo where it's the end all be all. I didn't want to end up in a Olympic lifting silo where that's the end all be all. And I didn't want to end up in a silo to where I was limited because I think the big problem we get into, get into when we get into movement silos is we end up extremely limited in our ability to grow. And if you can't grow beyond what you know or what you think you know, you're never going to evolve to be a master at your craft. I had the great opportunity to interview uh, Ryan Whitehead, who owns a facility up in Flagstaff a couple of days ago. And he was talking about how they get interns from Northern Arizona University. And some interns just jump in and they love the opportunity to do a variety of things. And other interns, he said, you know, it's, it's a little bit hard because they have a hard time grasping that, you know, there's more than one way to do the same thing. And just because this is the way that you learned in school, you can get the same results in another way. Taking these variety of certifications, which are so varied, did you ever find yourself conflicted because, okay, I took this certification six months ago and I jumped all in and thought, man, this is really good stuff. I'm getting really good results with myself or with my athletes. And then you go to another class or a course and there's information that's a dichotomy of that or opposite of that. Did you ever find that confusing or no? I found I probably should have gone to law school with my ability to argue and articulate points often. But uh, so I found that, you know, so for example, there's two organizations, there's Olympic style weightlifting, which is a very high bar oriented sport. It's very bouncing up and down and movement. And there was another organization I learned from, which was Starting Strength, which is a Mark Ripito organization. And they train a low bar squat and they're very cult-like in their trap practice. If you go against their grain, you're a, you're a terrible person. You're going to fall in a pit and die and get lit on fire. And, and But what I realized was, you know what, if I want to get good at basically deadlifting a bar on my back, then a low bar is a great parameter and it's not wrong to do. But if I want to build someone for high level athletic performance and and faster twitch fibers or faster, the ability to move quickly and have joint integrity, then I need to do a high bar back squat and weightlifting. So what I learned was that there's applications for every one of these programs and applications that can work in different situations and for different solutions. And, and that's really what I, what I grew into. And it's really how I learned to argue the point. Well, it's like, you know what, this would work here, but this wouldn't, wouldn't work as well here. And this is why, and we can argue till the end, but really at some point when someone's in a silo, you just agree to disagree and then you continue to grow and you continue to build what you're doing and continue to get better. I think one of the things people often forget when they're working with athletes who are not 
Olympic lifters or power lifters as their sport is the goal of the training and the resistance training is to make them better athletes, not to make them squat more or snatch more. Exactly. And you have to realize that. And uh, that falls into uh, like athletic training as well. I see some people, oh, I want to learn to ski better. Okay, cool. So they have them on a BOSU ball bouncing around and, and you look at it. Okay. It might be the best, best pathway. It might not be. Maybe this is just squat, but we, we don't necessarily know for sure until we train that athlete and see what works for them. And then ultimately you have to look at what's the specific parameter that's going to make people the best at what they can do. And, and it generally comes down to a sort of, you have to be strong enough to be able to balance yourself in the specified positions you need to be in. And then you need to have the strength endurance in order to be able to do that repetitively and repeatedly over time. So you don't get injured and you have increased performance. And I think you talked a little bit at the beginning of the interview, you said you kind of have three groups of people that you work with mainly. You have the high level athletes where obviously their main goal is they want to improve their performance in their sport but you also work with kids and people who hurt. So somebody asks you, what's the goal for the kids that you work with? What do you want them to achieve from what you do with them? Yeah. So when I work with kids, uh, the first thing we do is we sit down with them and their parents and we talk about goals. So what do you want to do? Where do you want to go? How do you see yourself getting there? And how do we fit in? Because we need to make sure that when we work with kids, that them participating in what we do is a conscious choice they think they made uh, because that's a huge behavior modification versus parents forcing them to do something. So once we understand that, the goal with kids is to get them to move really well and to move really well in the various positions they're going to be forced into when they do sports. And, and so it's really about building strength and joint integrity. And when you look at kids move, they're very flexible usually. They can get in any position, but they, they move awkwardly and they have all kinds of works and issues associated with the way they're coming in and out of position. So we generally need to build a base level of strength. They're already fairly flexible, but we need to make sure that they're also mobile while they move in those base positions of strength. And then what about the older population? I don't mean old as an agent, but older than kids who you mentioned, you work with a lot of individuals who hurt from lifestyle choices. What's the main goal with them? Yeah. So the main goal with people who have lifestyle problems is to understand what's going on. And we generally use a root cause perspective. So they walk in and they say, my stomach hurts. Okay, well, well, I need you to write a food log in a diary of what's going on and, and why it would hurt and the potential stress parameters in your life. Or they come in and they say, oh, my knee hurts or I have a bad back. Okay, we need to look beyond the knee. We need to look above and below and we need to figure out what's going on and figure out why it's hurting and how we can fix it from the root cause of the problem versus just trying to mask or put a Band-Aid on the problem. And so it's beyond the idea of like Barry's Big Booty Boot Camp where we just want you to bounce around and move. And it's into the idea of we need to sit down for an hour and we need to talk. And if you're going to come back in and meet with me, I need you to bring in a food log that you've prepared for a couple of weeks in advance. I need to watch you move. We do a three session movement assessment that helps analyze and understand what's going on, why you're moving weird or wonky and how, and then I can give you a professional recommendation on how we fix it. And then at the same time, we look at the diet. Okay, what's going on there? You gave me your food log. Now here's what I think is going on. Let's look at your blood work. And here's the idea of how we can fix it or how we can work together over time based on what you need and what I think you can do. And then it's just a fact. And the fact of the matter at the end is, are you willing to do it? We've been talking with Chandler Walker. He's talked about how he was a high school football player planning on going to medical school and had a change of thought and change of mind through his experiences. We're going to come back in two weeks and find out more about Stone Age Fuel 
and Chan's logic and talk more about moving both for the younger population and for people who hurt probably due to lifestyle choices. Chandler, I want to thank you for talking to Moving to Live, telling your story, and I'm looking forward to talking to you in two weeks. Yeah, I'm super excited to come back on. Thanks for letting me babble for a while about everything. And I hope everybody gets some value out of this. Just listen to it six or seven times and hopefully something will connect and click. Thanks for listening to the latest episode of Moving to Live. Make sure you check out the show notes for contact information for our latest guest, as well as links about all the things we talked about. Intro and exit music is Traveling Light by Jason Shaw. You can subscribe to Moving to Live on Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, and Google Play and be notified about new episode releases. Have any questions, comments, or suggestions? Drop us an email, mov2liv at gmail.com. Connect with us on Twitter or Instagram, both underscore mov2liv. Please tell your friends about Moving to Live. It's a go-to place for information for movement and exercise professionals and amateur aficionados who understand that movement is part of what makes your life complete. Until next week, keep on moving.